Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Okay, we're going to open our Bibles now. Uh, We're going to continue our Genesis series. And we are up to chapter 35 in Genesis. So let me encourage you to get your Bibles out, turn to Genesis chapter 35. Uh, If you haven't got a Bible and you would like one to follow along with, uh, there are baskets on the aisles and you can grab one out of those. Alternatively, uh, the screen behind me should have it up as well. And we're going to be reading through the whole chapter. Genesis 35. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. And build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob carried, oh, sorry, Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because that was where God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alon Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni. But his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Midgal, Eda. And while Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Jacob had 12 sons, the sons of Leah, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, 
the sons of Rachel's servant Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Leah's servant Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob, who were born to him in Paddan Aram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Amen. Graham's going to come up and share with us now. Thanks, Hayden. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Graham. Uh, I have a great job because I, all day I get to think about what God's doing in the world and how I can help people be part of that. It's, I reckon it's one of the best jobs you can get. In fact, later on this afternoon, I'm going off to an Indonesian church. Uh, Indonesia, the biggest Muslim country, but with 14 million Christians. And uh, we're going to the Indonesian church to talk about how they can reach out to their fellow Indonesians. It's a huge opportunity. I'm not going to hang around. I'm going to head off, but... Uh, just if you had a minute to pray for that, that would be really big. That's a strategic thing. So uh, all day I think about what God's doing in the world. But not today. <laughs> not this minute anyway. Today we're going to look at what God is doing in our hearts. What God is doing in our lives. What God is doing in our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions. And it all starts with Uncle Ted. Uh, Uncle Ted was my grandfather's brother. Uh, I, just, I didn't know that for years. I just called him Uncle Ted. He used to live on the coast of New South Wales, up on the lakes. And we'd go up there regularly to visit him and go fishing and stuff like that with him. I really clearly remember one day we were out uh, on the lake, where it's really shallow, and we were pulling up shellfish out of the bed of the lake. So the idea is you've got a bucket and you're sort of in there in the water with your feet. Obviously, you can't do it with shoes on, but you pick up, I don't know what they were, mussels or something like that, and put them in a bucket. And then Uncle Ted, because I don't like them, Uncle Ted enjoyed the afternoon anyway, eating all his seafood. So he pulled up one of the mussels and actually water ran out of it. And he said, oh, watch this. There's something inside here. And he opened it up and there was something inside there. It was an octopus. In fact, it was a blue-ringed octopus. <laughs> now, it's those people who exclaim know that a blue-ringed octopus is an exceedingly poisonous creature and can kill people. So the lake was fine. The mussels were great, but Beneath the surface was something so dangerous that it could have killed any of us. That was the end of our muscle collecting for the day. In fact, I never went out again doing that. Because underneath the surface is something so dangerous, in fact, it was deadly, and I didn't even know. And that's what we're looking at today. Uh, not about lakes, but about hearts and about our own attitudes. We're looking at the story... Uh, that Hayden just read out from Genesis. And I, I want to um, explain a bit about how we get to that place because this particular story brings together a whole lot of other things that have happened earlier on in this guy's life, in Jacob's life. So I'm going to rewind a little bit, fast forward to where we are, and then we're going to go forward again from that to see where the ideas go. If you remember a guy called Abraham, God appeared to him and made a lot of promises to him. Let me read some of them to you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Those were promises delivered to Jacob's great-grandfather, Abraham, in Genesis 11. And the whole story of Genesis is essentially the story of those promises. In fact, plenty of people would say the whole rest of the story of the Bible is the, the outplaying of those promises, the way that God brings them to being. 
Fast forward to the beginning, well, to the middle of Jacob's life. You might remember Jacob had a, a twin brother, Esau. Do people remember that? Yep. Esau was the oldest one. He deserved to inherit everything from his father. But Jacob actually deceived his father, his father Isaac, and stole Esau's birthright. He stole the inheritance that Esau had. That didn't go down well with Esau. This is in Genesis 27, 28. And so Jacob decided to make himself scarce. He decided that discretion was the better part of valour. He ran away, essentially. He deceived and then he ran. That will happen again and again. And on the way out, he stopped at the same place that's mentioned today, Bethel, where he had a pretty spectacular vision of God, of of a ladder going up and down to heaven and God being at the top of it. And as he left the promised land, God appeared to him and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And and God reaffirmed the promises that he'd made to Jacob's great-grandfather. How did Jacob take that? Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely, then the Lord will be my God. It's kind of a bit of a bargain thing going on there, isn't it? Jacob's running away. He's in fear of his life. And if you save me, God, then I'll worship you. Then you'll be my God. So that was Genesis 27, 28 about then. Jacob went off to live with his uncle Laban. Uh, far away, back towards where Abraham had originally came from. And there, uh, it was his turn to be deceived. He was deceived into marrying Leah. And then later on, he married Rachel as well, whose name comes up in the story today. So Jacob was deceived into marrying these girls. And he lived with his uncle Laban. But God continued to be faithful to his promise. God, God blessed Jacob. And in fact, Laban was blessed through the life of Jacob. Jacob became wealthy and Laban became wealthy. Uh, Jacob married, as you read, and he began to have children. So the promises of God seemed to be sort of getting closer to reality. Uh, Abraham was one guy, hardly a nation. Uh, Isaac, his son, one guy, hardly a nation. But now Jacob is having more children. It looks like it's heading in the right direction. And he's blessed the nations as well. As was said to Abraham, you'll be a blessing to the nations. Jacob has helped out his uncle Laban, and Laban's become wealthy. But their relationship sours as well. Uh, Laban's sons, who are Jacob's cousins and brother-in-laws, brothers-in-law, brother-in-laws, one or the other, perhaps both, they, don't, they get a bad vibe about Jacob. They want to get rid of him because they think he's ripped off their dad. And so now Jacob deceives his uncle. He runs away in the middle of the night. He takes his two wives and all his family and disappears. And as he's running away again, having deceived people again, There's a tiny little verse in verse 31. You probably don't even remember skipping over it. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed back to the hill country of Gilead. So the same thing happens again. Jacob deceives people and he disappears in the middle of the night. You just can't trust this guy. And I think the whole story of Genesis can be summed up in the struggle. God promises we can trust God's word, but you see all of his followers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down, you can't trust anything they say. They're hopeless. They're serial liars. And Jacob especially is an expert in disappearing. 
So Jacob runs away. His wife, Rachel, takes her father's idols with her and hides them. Laban comes looking for them, by the way, but again, she deceives him and tricks him. She manages to hang on to them. We'll come back to those later on. So Jacob and his now large family got promises of God beginning to come true. He's now his large family. They are headed back towards the promised land. He meets his brother Esau. And you'll remember preaching about that a couple of weeks ago. Then they settle in a place called Shechem. Now that's two weeks ago we're up to now. Two weeks ago we looked at the story of Dinah and the Shechemites. It's a pretty, it's a pretty terrible story really. It's no good guys in that story. Uh, Dinah is raped by a guy called Shechem. Uh, the, the, the brothers of Dinah, the sons of Jacob, they hear about it and now they deceive the entire town and put the whole town to the sword. They kill all the guys in the town. So where are the promises of God in that? God promised that Abraham's descendants would become a great nation and we're heading in that direction. We've got lots of kids, a big family, it's growing. But God also promised that, well, his descendants would be a blessing to the nations and I don't think the people of Shechem feel very blessed at the end of the story because half of them are dead. The promises of God, God keeps his word, but his followers, they, they just can't be trusted. You can't turn your back on these people. And whatever they say is a lie. And in fact, they seem to be busy undoing the promises of God and going out of their way to frustrate his purposes. So that's where we're at at the end of chapter 34. And then last week we had the anniversary and now we move into chapter 35. Once again, Jacob and his family are effectively on the run. They are a stench in the nostrils of all the nations around them. And so he does what he does best, which is run away. I guess everybody's got a talent, haven't they? God directs him towards Bethel. That's the same place that he went out through. So he went out through Bethel and now he's coming back through Bethel. And something clicks in his mind as he approaches that town. He realises that God has in fact kept his promises. That although he left, the, left just a single man, uh, running away as it were from his own brother, now he's returned with a great family. He's been blessed by God. He's very wealthy. And God has kept his promises. And that deal that he made all those years ago, because it's 20 years ago by now, it's only a few chapters in the Bible, actually 20 years have gone past, somehow something clicks in his mind. And so he decides, yep, it's time to dedicate this, myself, my family, my nation, as it were, to God. And so he gives that little speech that Hayden read out in Genesis chapter 35. God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Jacob said to his household and all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So Jacob decides this is it. It's time to commit. God's kept his promise. Now it's up to us. Get rid of your foreign gods, purify yourselves. Now we're coming back to God's place. It's time to live like we're actually under God's rule. And he gives that little line, throw away your foreign gods. I wonder who he was looking at when he said that. I wonder if he was looking at somebody in particular. Because if you remember the story, Rachel had actually stolen her father's idols and, and hid them and deceived her father again and again and probably still had them with her. Jacob says, get rid of them. Throw away your foreign gods. Now that line comes up again years later. 
I want to actually fast forward now uh, through the rest of the book of Genesis. The short story is that by the end of Genesis, the family that here are down in Egypt. They are blessing the nations They're through Joseph, saving them from a famine. So you probably know most of that story. That's how the book of Genesis ends. Uh, God's people are growing in number and they are quite powerful and they are blessing the nations, but they're still homeless. We move into the book of Exodus, 400 years go past, and they've become a great nation in Egypt, but they're enslaved. And so I'm sure you remember the book of Exodus is a story of Moses, God using him to rescue the people and take them back towards the promised land. Now they're a nation, now they've been blessed by God, now they've been rescued by him, and now they're heading towards the promised land. Moses dies in the desert and hands over the reins to Joshua. There's a bit of a false start entering the promised land, and so another 40 years are spent in a kind of holding pattern in the desert. As they get ready to go into the promised land, Joshua gives them a bit of a pep talk slash history lesson slash slap in the face. (laughs) So let me read to you a little bit from Joshua chapter 24, and you see if any of this sounds familiar. This is Joshua speaking. Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's pretty famous, the last bit of that. Uh, Did any of that sound slightly familiar? And in fact, it's repeated later on. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates. They're the ones that Rachel stole literally hundreds of years ago by the time Joshua comes around. So she took her father's idols, hid them. They were buried, you know, not destroyed. You see that? They were buried, not destroyed. Somebody dug them up and kept them. And somebody has been worshipping, some part of these people have been worshipping those gods for now, well, hundreds of years. They still haven't managed to throw away the gods that they worship beyond the Euphrates. And on top of that, they've added in extra ones. You might have picked that up. Throw away the gods your ancestors have worshipped beyond the Euphrates. Uh, choose whether you want to worship them or the gods of the Amorites. So they've, they've actually added to the collection. Not only did they not listen to what Jacob said, over time people have made it worse They've collected other ones. What are they, football cards? Are we going for a set of whooshies here? I don't know. Why is it? People just keep collecting these gods. And Joshua has to essentially repeat what Jacob said, what, centuries ago, which nobody listened to. It seems that we are collectors by nature, aren't we? Perhaps we're all like that. When I read this part of the Bible, I don't identify with the heroes like, you know, the big, the famous people. Actually, I, I think I identify more with the ordinary people. You know, Jacob addressing his family is like him speaking to me. Joshua addressing the people of God is like him speaking to me, really. I'm not the hero of anything. I'm just another ordinary person. And I think I stand in great danger of collecting things as well, collecting other gods. I think that's a danger that we still face, although the outward form is different. Actually, the heart hasn't changed. My heart is just like theirs. Uh, Fast forward from the time of Joshua to Jesus. That's that's like 1,500 years. 
You might remember a conversation Jesus had with a guy that we, we don't know his name. We call him the rich young ruler. Uh, he was a guy who, who, by his accounting, had kept all the commandments. Uh, he was a good person. He went over and above and beyond the minimum required. And one day he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, Jesus rattled off the commandments. The guy, tick, 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 tick. Then Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell your possessions and come follow me. If you remember what happens next, the guy went away sad because he had many possessions. He, he didn't follow Jesus. He walked away. I, I don't know his name. His name's never recorded. He's just called the rich young ruler. In fact, he'd broken commandment number one, have no other gods before me. And when God turned up and spoke to him and said, come and follow me, he couldn't leave the other things behind. He couldn't bring himself to do it. I'm sure there was no statue in his house. I'm sure there wasn't because he was a Jewish person. He was a good person. But in his heart, there were just as many idols. So what do we do with all of this? Uh, firstly, if, I don't think many people fall into this category, but if it so happens that you have actual idols in your house, you know, picked up a statue of Buddha on a trip to Bali or whatever, then can I just urge you to bin that immediately when you get home? It's either useless or it's dangerous, or it just makes you look ridiculous having it slightly. Because it's either not a god, so it's useless, or it has some spiritual power, but the wrong type, and so it's actually a great danger to you. So if you've got stuff in your house that is, it was used for some other religion, then chuck it away, because we don't need that. We just don't need it. God's enough for us. I don't think many of us are going to fall into that category. But when I look at myself, I think I fall into the category of having idols in my heart. Let me read to you a couple of words from the Apostle Paul. Uh, the first one from Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. In Ephesians, almost the same thing. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, for such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So do you see what Paul's done there? He did it twice. He said that idolatry is like greed. Greed is like idolatry. They're the same thing. And a person who has greed in their heart has no share in God's kingdom. That's pretty serious, isn't it? With some of the other things mentioned there, we think, oh, yeah, sexual immorality, that's not on. We can't have any of that. We don't want any lust. We've got to stop, stop that. But then to say that greed is like idolatry and disqualifies us from inheriting God's kingdom, wow, that's something to think about, isn't it? I've never met a greedy person because I only want the things I need. There are plenty of people who are richer than me who are obviously greedy, aren't they? People who are richer than me are obviously greedy. Or maybe it's not so obvious. I think any time we want more than we need... And that's, surely that's what greed is, isn't it? Wanting more than we need. We all need to eat, right? Everybody needs to eat to stay alive. And food is a gift from God. But frankly, I stuff myself sometimes. And not because I need it, but just because I like it. And I want more of it. And I have more of it than is good for me. I don't know if you've ever fallen into that category. Maybe it's something else that affects you. Hey, we all need to live. We need money to pay the rent or the mortgage. We need to keep the electricity on. But, but for some people, money's never enough. No amount of money's ever enough. 
Somebody once asked, I think it was Kerry Packer, how much money is enough? And he said, one dollar more. A multimillionaire, it's never enough. So what is it in your life? What is it that you never get enough of? That you just acquire and acquire, not because you need it. I mean, you might need a minimum amount of it to to stay alive. But you just want more because I don't know why. (laughs) Because if I have more of it, I feel better some way about myself. That thing's become an idol to you. Things become an idol to me as well. Sure, there's no statue, there's no uh, bit of wood that's been carved, there's no stone, there's no golden thing, I'm not bowing to it, I'm not making little offerings to it, but, but in my heart, something else has taken the place of God. Because God is meant to be more than enough for all of us. And he's meant to be the thing that we want more and more of. And he's meant to be the reason we get up and the the reason we go to work and the first thing we think of in the morning and the last thing we think of at night. He is meant to be more than enough for us. And whenever I take something, whatever it is, whether it's food or it's clothes or it's holidays or it's experiences or whatever, and when I say, I just can't get enough of that, get me some more, well, that thing's actually become an idol to me. I'm sure if I went to... 99 out of 100 homes here, there wouldn't be a Buddha, there wouldn't be a Hindu, there wouldn't be a Shiva, there wouldn't be any of those things. But there's probably another thing and it's probably a thing that you enjoy. It might even have been a thing that was once good. Maybe it is even essential to life. But then it takes over and we just continue to acquire it because I don't know why. (laughs) We just think we want more and more because somehow it'll make us feel good. I don't think we've changed that much since Genesis 34. Yeah, our clothes are different and we speak different and we live in a different part of the world, but the hearts haven't changed. And so the words of Jacob become the words to me. The words of Joshua become words to me. The words of Jesus become words to me. Because my heart wants to worship idols. I think it always will. It's it's a continual battle to keep throwing them away. It just gets harder, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you've ever been to, say, somewhere like Bali, it's so obvious. <laughs> when you go there, you see you know, there's idols everywhere. There are, you're literally stepping over offerings that have been made to demons in the street. It's, it's full on. You can smell it in the air. You can smell the sacrifices that have been made. It's so obvious. But then when we come back here, it's not quite so obvious. <laughs> and people are actually going to cheer you on as you acquire more stuff, as you become richer, as you collect things, as you get more and more and more, people are going to cheer that on. You're not going to find any encouragement to live simply, to, to, have it, to, to, to get rid of your idols from the world. Every, every day it seems like there's another little idol-worshipping magazine that comes in the letterbox, you know, more junk mail. Oh, I didn't even know I, that you could buy an air compressor at Audi. I don't know what an air compressor is, but all of a sudden I need one. <laughs> And now Aldi, the only shop in the world where you walk in trying to buy two litres of milk and you walk out with a trombone and a pup tent. Uh, it's never... It's, I don't know, what, what are they thinking? But it's never enough, is it? It's just never enough. So one of the things that I struggle with, it might sound ridiculous to you, but it's a thing to me. Remember, some of you all remember when we were kids, mostly blokes, used to make little model aeroplanes, you know, buy them down the shops and stick them together. Some of you are old enough to remember that. I still do that. There you go, I'm admitting it in public. But I, I, I never buy it. I keep buying the damn things. 
there's so many, even if I never bought another one, I'd be able to do that hobby until I died and then leave a big pile to my son. Now, I've just about halved it once. I'm going to probably have to halve it again. But it's just never enough. You know, you see them, they pop up on your Facebook feed. They do on my Facebook feed because I follow the pages. <laughs> but you know what? When I go to a convention where people make, you know, where we get people like us get together, by the way, it's really good to sell soap at a place like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's a few of us, we get together. You know, what, you know what you see in the hall next door? People selling it. Because they're just old people, old guys or their widows, selling them off for five bucks each for nothing, giving them away practically. You can hardly give them away. Because stupidly, we buy more than we can ever use. And then we just pile it up for no good reason. And then when, it's got, when we're gone, somebody has to junk it all. <laughs> That's me. I don't know how many others are afflicted with that particular idol in this place. I'm gathering not many. <laughs> but you've probably got your own one. Maybe it's in your wardrobe. How many pairs of shoes have you got? How many do you really need? How many clothes do we have? How much do we really need? How much do you eat? How much do you really need to eat? It's our heart, isn't it? That's the problem. It's our heart that's the problem. Jacob said to his family, to the people of God as they were at that time, throw away your foreign gods. Joshua had to repeat the exercise hundreds of years later because people had completely ignored that advice. Jesus had almost the same conversation with the rich young ruler. And it's the same words to me and to you today as well. Throw away your foreign gods. Anything you can't get enough of, you've probably got to get rid of because it's a danger and snare to you. God is more than enough for us. He is the only thing we should never have enough of, the only person who should so occupy our thoughts, the only reason we should get up and the only reason we should go to bed. God is more than enough. Throw away your foreign gods. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stories of Genesis. Uh, people called by you, but perhaps struggling to know how to live that out. People who are asked to do things they were reluctant to do. People who had made commitments that they didn't want to keep. People, well, probably people just like us. Uh, we're sorry for the gods that we have. Who knows how many there are represented here today. Whatever it is that we can't get enough of, help us to put it in its rightful place. And may you be the thing that we worship, you be the thing that we honour, you be the thing, the person that we seek and love and serve above all others. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.